Well, first off, let me thank you for the privilege of being here today. Um, it, I'm Michael Harrington. I'm the associate pastor at Calvary Chapel in Salem. Some of you I've known for some time. And uh, so it's a real joy to be able and a privilege to be here. Um, I, too, am in prayer for Clint. You know, I, I know that as a pastor that it, there's those times where we just need to be refreshed. And to be honest, it, you know, our, our families get the short end of the stick a lot of the times because we're, ministry is, is work and, and uh, it's, it can be troublesome and it can be hard, but it is a total blessing at the same time. Um, <clears throat> it, I'm, I don't get a chance to teach as often as I used to. And so I'm a little rusty, so just bear with me as, as we go through. I use notes because when you get my age, if you don't have it written down and there's a reminder what it is you're going to talk about, uh, you'll either forget it or you'll drift off in some crazy tangent, and I don't want to go there today. So so let's, let's pray. Father, I, I, I thank you for the privilege, God, of coming and sharing. And Lord, I pray today that you would take, uh, just like the loaves and fishes, the, the little that I bring, that you would bless it, break it, and make it work in the lives of our li- of our people here, God. And just uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, that this message, I hope, will will give us direction, maybe and a correction if we need it, and uh, encouragement as we go. So bless this time in Jesus' name, Amen. I want to thank Stacy too for leading worship. You know, it's uh, it's a joy to have somebody who's not only good at it but loves it. And uh, I know whenever we, whenever she shares her worship, and that's been at times at prayer, and there's been times where she shared, and, and uh, it's just been rich because she she loves worshiping, and you can tell a worship leader that loves worshiping by the way they worship. You know, it's not work to her; it's a joy. So, you know, it's funny as I as I was doing the study on on what we're going to study today. Uh, our church is located in Salem, and we've just gone through what some people think is a catastrophe. I don't live in Salem, so I'm not less affected, but uh, and our church is on a well, so we're not affected, but uh, the water being contaminated. And I thought, how interesting. It was just, to me, a great illustration of how important what we take in. You know, here you can take something in, and, and, and it, can, it can quench your thirst, so to speak, but it might not be as healthy as you think it should be. And so I'm so, uh, so great that we have the Word of God, that we can take it in at any time. There's some tough words in it, things we have to chew on and swallow, and they're sometimes tough to take. But there's definitely direction and correction and blessing and, and, and just a, an acknowledgement of who God is. You know, I'm one of the people, uh, I came out of the Jesus movement in, in the early 70s, and uh, I'm one of the people that really truly believes that we're in, our, we're in the last days. Now, keep in mind, I think that the last days started when Jesus ascended. That's when, that's when the clock got hit, and no one knows the time nor the hour, and we're told not to claim that we know it or to project it, but I, I truly believe that that's when it started. And as I have been a Christian for, for over 40-some years, I've seen our society and our world just uh, go through some really difficult changes. Changes that are, are incredibly against what, what the Word of God has to say. And, and I've watched the church in America shrink. I mean, what I call the true church. I think there's churches that, that aren't teaching the Word today. I think they teach philosophy. I think they teach 
who knows history. I think they teach psychology. But I don't think that they really uh, teach the Word of God. And you guys are so blessed to have Clint to come here every week and week in and week out teach you the Word. Because the Word is really life. And, and you are, you're just blessed to have that. And I know you appreciate him. Uh, I know you really truly do. And, and, uh, and, th- and, that, and he's worthy of it. Um, because I believe that we are lifting, living in the last days, uh, I think that the wisdom I hope to, to give you today is from a book that I love. Uh, I love the story of it. Uh, and, and we're just going to do a, a few things in it today. I'm not going to get into the, the uh, um, prophetic side of the book of Daniel. But there's some solid things in there uh, that Daniel, <clears throat> as a character in himself, and, and, the, and the three other Hebrew boys that, were, that joined him when they got captured and taken to uh, Babylonia, that when they went to Babylon, uh, they had to... And they were young at that time. Some, some Bible scholars feel they were somewhere between the age of 14 and 17 years old. And it took, the book goes all the way through to, to a, a lot longer uh, length of time. But, you know, we are facing some of the same things that, that Daniel's facing. You, you feel those guys were extracted out of a, out of a place where they were, they were, um, they were raised. They were extracted out of a place where the language that they spoke wasn't now where they went to, didn't spoke their philosophy, their religion, their food, their culture. In every area of their life, uh, they were touched. And as I sat down and thought about that, as we as Christians today in America, we're kind of, we haven't been captured and taken to this place, but this is not our home. And we're watching the place where we have lived, many of us, for years, change right before our very eyes. We're watching the culture change. We're watching the, uh, the, the religion around us, if I will use that word, change. We're watching uh, the acceptability of what our faith says change. Uh, as I grew up, uh, Christians were uh, people that were looked up to. Christians were people that were... Um, considered uh, extremely important to our society. Uh, and yet today, uh, that's not so much the case. We are in a minority. And uh, people say that we're still we're a Christian nation. I believe that we were established as a Christian nation, but I don't believe we're traveling down that road right now. But I do believe that prayer can change things. I believe that living our lives out in a way that God would have us can change things. It can change us as well as it can change the people in, in the world around us. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at, <clears throat> at uh, the book of Daniel quickly. We're just going to get into three different chapters, and, and, and we're going to just try to enjoy some of the things that are in there, maybe get convicted by some of the things that are in there. Um, and in my case, um, I will gladly tell you that I hope I'm changed by some of the things that are in there. So we're going we're gonna to study chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 6. And it's going to be a light study. I'm not a heavy hitter. Um, you know, I, I, you could spend uh, half a year in this book, to be very honest with you. It's that rich and that uh, involved. There's so many aspects and facets of the book of Daniel that it's amazing. But we're just going to look at a, a, a light look at what it is to be, to be living in a world that's not yours. 
Um, I w- if I was going to title this, it would be, How Do I Live a Consecrated Life in a Contaminated World? Because uh, that's what Daniel had at Henry. So uh, if you want, you can open up and, and read in your mind as I read uh, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And with some of the vessels of the house of God, he brought them to the land of Shinar, in the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then, king, then the king commanded Asphenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, for use without blemish, a good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, encountered with the knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. That They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food and with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youth who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs was assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. To the steward, so the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had an understanding of all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. When Israel was taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar, he not only extracted some of the items that were used in the temple, he didn't take them all. There were some that were actually hidden before. And he brought them to his own temple. 
You know, and, and, and it, this happened at about 605 BC. Now, Babylon was a country that was completely different in religion and philosophy, as I've said, in every area of life. And even though we've been born here in this nation, we're watching the philosophy, the attitude, the culture change right before our eyes. And it's definitely drifting off the scale of what God's word would say we're to have. Now, one of the things that they did is uh, they gave them new names. Now, the, the hope of that, obviously, was to maybe give them a, a, a change in their attitude and a change in, their, in, in how they saw themselves. You know, it's funny because we're going through that same kind of a situation here um, in our own country. It's called an identity crisis. Um, we have, for instance, uh, this huge issue having to do with gender. And, you know, now I don't know, there, somebody came up with a list of 41 different genders that a person could claim to be, including non-gender. Uh, when you stop and think of that, I mean, God created us man and woman. That's what it says in the Word. And I truly believe that it, it, you, you are what you're, you've been created. And if you go into the DNA, you're going to find out that a man's a man, and you do the DNA, it's going to be a woman and a woman. So it doesn't make any difference. But they're allowing us to make decisions by how we feel. I don't know about you, but it would be very dangerous if I ran my whole entire life on how I felt. Because uh, I, you know, my feelings just go one way or the other. They goes off the scale, and you can ask my wife. She'll go, "Yeah, he's he's all over the place." Uh, it's just not a healthy thing to do to allow people to make decisions on how they feel. We need. That's why we have laws. I mean, otherwise, I should be able to do fifty-five miles an hour down the street out here. Maybe it's thirty-five, but hey, I feel like doing fifty, or I feel like I'll stop on yellow and I'll go on red. You know, no, there's laws and there's there's standards that we that we have. You know, it, it's helpful, I think, for all of us to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I take the pause to say that because I'm looking at and reading statistics and have fear for my own grandchildren that. They're, sent, they're telling us now that 80 to 81% of the kids that grew up in, in church, um, when they go off to college, they step away from their faith. Now, I, I would ask you and, and maybe even venture to say that, do, do you think that, that, was there, that they had faith? See, I think a lot of young people are going to churches today and they're there because mom and dad are in church. I don't think that they really understand or know what it is that they believe. They just go because mom and dad go. And then when that time comes for them not to get, they make the decision, I don't have to go to church, so I'm not going to go to church. Um, it's important that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And it's important that our kids, our children, grow up with their own faith. And you know that each person is going to stand before God alone. And uh, my, my son's not going to have me standing there and he can point a finger and say, the reason why I don't believe is him. Or the reason why I do believe it's him, it's going to be a one-on-one -on -one situation. It's each person's heart. And so as, as society wants to change how we think of ourselves, we need to come. Now these guys came in from, from uh, Israel, Hebrew boys raised in the Word of God, living in a standard of it. Now admitted that the king at the time, Jehoiakim, uh, and you can do some history on him, you're going to find out that uh, he had three 
uh, uh, three of the states of, of, of Israel, and he wasn't the, the best of guys. He had been, he'd left and he was trained by uh, Pharaoh in Egypt uh, on how to rule, and then he came back and, and implemented that rule uh, in his three states in, of, of Israel, and that's why God allowed uh, uh, Babylon to come in and, and overtake them. But it's important that you know what you believe and why you believe in. And I believe these four people within this book know what they believed and why they believed it. And because of that, when as, as you go through this book and you, and you see what they faced, the tests that they had to go through, the things that they had to do, and they stood strong in their faith and their belief, it's because they knew what they knew, that they knew that they knew it. So that I, I, if you ever really want to know what the basics are of your Christian belief, there's two books you can get. One is Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe It. They're small books. They're by a guy named Paul E. Little. They've been around for a long, long time. It's simple language, very well written, and easy to grasp. And that'll be my commercial for today. We're not going to... I'm not here to sell books, but it's just that those two books I have in my, my library, and, and I think they work really well. So let me talk about some of the verses in chapter 1. Verse 6 and 7, Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. One of the tools of the enemy today is to change what you think about yourself, to change what your true identity is. Um, if we grew up in, in, in a society where we're told that, uh, you know, we're not even a, a, a person until we come out of the womb, that you're open to be uh, aborted from that time on, it really changes how you start, what you think yourself as. Uh, they don't consider human beings... Um, when they're in the womb, to be human beings. And then you add on to that the gender identity. Well, here they gave these boys names, but it didn't change their character, and it didn't change what they knew and what they believed. And I think that that's very important for us. Um, as, as we're facing that crisis right now in our nation about gender, it's creating havoc in homes, it's creating havoc in schools. Um, I... I have a, a, a young gal who comes to our church that dropped out of Portland State University because she couldn't say, hi girls, hey boys, because you were identifying somebody in a gender. They had to say, use neutral terms. And it wasn't just the students that were raising up, it was actually the faculty also. You start, my goodness, that's a major university in our school and in our state, and they're this is they're trying to change the identity of who you are. And that opens up a door for a lot of different things. Well, I'm so grateful that God in his word gives us an example of someone who, even though they were given a different name, even though they were put in a completely different environment, even though they were given different foods and music and, and reading and everything else, they hung on to their beliefs. And it proved out as you, as you read this book just, just how well it works. Now, please take note of, of, of uh, Genesis, I mean, excuse me, of verse 8, that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food and with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I think the key word in that verse is resolved. 
And you and your Bible, it may have purposed in their heart. What a great term. What a great term. You know, we need resolve and we need purpose in our hearts. We truly do. We have to know who it is we, we serve. We have to know who we are in Him. And we have to live in that standard and understand that standard and not be affected by the world around us to break that standard down. And if I live my life in accordance with God's Word, I know that I'm going to get blessed. I know life's not going to be easy, but I can go out there and show you unbelievers life's not easy for them either. So no one promised us you know, that life would be smooth here. What God did promise is that the life hereafter would be smooth forever. And I don't know about you, but that's the life I'm looking forward to. That's the life I want to uh, enjoy. But I can't make my decisions by my feelings, and that is what they're asking them to do. You know, I want you to feel like a Babylonian, so I'm going to give you a Babylonian name. You know, resolved in your heart means that you purpose in your heart. You make brave and concerted and final decisions about who you are in Christ and who you're going to be in Christ and how you're going to act in Christ. And that is so important because you're going to come and I'm going to come into all kinds of different situations where we have to make decisions. Are we going to go left, right, straight, up, down, backwards? Uh, and that concerns absolutely everything in your life. You, you're going to be faced with making decisions. My children and my grandchildren are going to be faced with making decisions. We have to resolve in our heart. And what I love there is that they had resolved in their heart. They grew up knowing who God was. It's the same God that we believe in. And they, they knew what His standards were. They had the Old Testament and they, and, they, and they knew exactly what it was. They worshipped in the temple that to that God. We worship in a church to ours. But if you start to reason and purpose with just the feelings of your heart, just how you feel, you're going to make some pretty radical Radical mistakes. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about the heart. The heart is deceitfully, deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 tells us this. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will be added to you. I want you to think about that. Living under the standards of God's Word, believing God's Word and trusting God's Word gives you a future, a permanent future, an eternal future that will be peace. And it's all going to be added to you by what Christ did upon the cross. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. You see, when you ask Christ into your life, He comes in and He changes you. He begins that process of sanctification and he takes root and home in your heart. But you, you can, and I know because I did at a time in my life, you can kind of press him off to one side. You can kind of turn your ear from not hearing him. There was a time in my life, I'm not proud of it, but it's the truth. Um, I had graduated with my degree in criminal justice and went down to Southern California to pursue a career in law enforcement. And as I left the church I was going to, I promised myself I'd stay in the Word. I promised myself I'd pray every day. Um, Slowly but surely that leaked out of my life, and the world leaked in. And working in law enforcement, I like to say this, if they they were arresting Christians, I'm not so sure they would have been able to find enough evidence to swear out a warrant for me. I don't say that proudly. I say that because we can allow those things to take place in our life. 
It's why it's so important, and it's what a blessing. You come here every Sunday. You get to spend time in worship. You get to spend time in hearing the Word. You get to spend time connecting and, and, and collectively uh, living a life together. You get encouraged by each other's belief. You get encouraged by each other's prayers. It's so vital. I stepped out of fellowship. And believe me, it didn't take long for the world to creep back in my life. Was God there? Yes. You don't lose Him. He says He'll never leave nor forsake you. But, there, like I said, there might not have been evidence. I mean, I wasn't out robbing banks and doing that kind of stuff, but I mean, I, you know, if people came up, they might not know I was a Christian by who I was, the way I talked, the way I acted, uh, what I said. So it's important that you have those things in your heart and you allow that room and you, ref, you refurbish it and you renew it every week when you come in here and you hear the Word of God. Every week when you come before the Lord and you worship Him. He loves you and me so much. And He cares so very, very much for us. And I don't really think that we understand that to the fullest degree. I think we do understand it. But when I stop and I think that Jesus Christ died on a cross for Hitler, for Mao Zedong, for Stalin, for the worst people on the planet, because he offered that salvation to them just like he offered it to me. I go, man, this, this God's. I mean, I couldn't give up my son for anybody. Well, a good person I wouldn't even give him up for, much less a criminal. So we have a God who loves us, and he does not want us to forget that. And he has a whole book of him, of him speaking to us. And the Word of God is, is, is Jesus and in and it of itself. It says there in John, what? And the Word became flesh. That was Him. That was his, his. He lived out the Word before us. And He made available to us these wonderful things in the Word. And I believe that, that these four Hebrew boys were schooled in that. I believe that they knew it. And as they go through the trials of their life... They purposed in their heart, hey, this is, this is the standard we're going to live by and these are the things we're going to keep. These are the rules by which we're going to live because they please our God. Not because he's some overbearing tax master, but because he loves me. And because they did that, they faced, as you're going to read, if you have not read the book of Daniel before, and I can't believe anybody hasn't because it's, I mean, it's, it's a Bible story and a half. Um, you see that they go through incredible tribulation, incredible trials, and they survive it. We go through tribulation and trials every day. And the way we survive it is living out the word, living out our life as God would have it. Jesus said this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you see the purpose of good things in your heart and then guarding it, protecting it from the influence of bad things can bring about right decisions when you're faced to do it. And we're going to be faced to do it. I was blessed today by what my brother said when, when he, he talked about how a man under alcohol had, had ran his car into his wife's car where he and his children were in it. And, and how, you know, the, I can't imagine, and it would be for me too, the first thoughts would I love to get my hands around the neck of that guy. But my brother there said, you know, I prayed and, and I've forgiven him. You know, and I, I, performed, I, I was blessed by that because that's how God would have us be. You know, my feelings, if you'd have let that go, you'd have been over there wrenching that guy's neck. 
Maybe, you know, and, and that would have purposed nothing and brought about nothing, but maybe you doing some jail time. So that would have not been such a good, good deal. But I can understand your feelings. I can understand your, 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 how you'd react to that. There are a couple of different views concerning why Daniel and the three other men re- rejected to eat the king's food. And I want you to understand that, that uh, in, in the land of Shinar and Babylon, they offered food and wine to their gods. And I, and I have a feeling that, that that might be one of the reasons. The other reason could be because these were Jewish boys and, and there's strict rules on food and how it's prepared, and it may not have been kosher. So they, they, they were willing to live by the standards that they have, and I, and I challenge myself, am I willing to live by my Christian standards day in and day out? When a choice has come before me of what I can have, what I can take into my life, that's physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, emotionally, do I, do I make those right choices? And I pray every day, I resolve in my heart that, yeah, God, I want to I live by your standards. I want to live by what your word would say. I want to react in the way that Jesus would react to these things. A wise guy once told me when I first, first came to the Lord, he said, Michael, you'll never do wrong by doing right. And there's only one way I know that's right. There's all kinds of different rights out there. Everybody's got a completely different opinion. There's no absolutes in the society we live in now, which is crazy. Uh, I don't know how anybody can come to that conclusion. Um, but I've talked to people in the street as I've shared the Lord, and they just know there's... I don't believe that. I, I, I can believe something else, and it's just as, as right on. Um, I, don't not, I do not understand that. But I do know this, that if I don't... if I do right, I'm never going to have to worry about doing wrong. If I purpose in my heart, if I commit to God that I'm going to live my life in such a way, when I'm tempted by something, when, I, when something comes across or I'm pressured in an area to make a decision or to pick something up or not pick it up, um, if I purpose in my heart and I revisit that purpose on a daily basis, I'm probably going to do right and encourage all of us to, to do that. The other thing that's, that stood out in this chapter to me personally was the fact that there was such an en- enormous amount of wisdom in a young man, 14 to 17 years old. He would understand this about the food. He would, he would be able to say, how can, I, how can I navigate this? How can I get, get through this trial? That, you know, I mean, yeah, the, his, his keeper said, hey, you know, if, if you don't do this, the king may separate my head from my body. And, and so he, 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 I believe by God's wisdom, he basically told him, hey, test it, show it works. Be faithful. And I think that word for us is be faithful. Mm-hmm. Test yourself in that. Be faithful. When those things, those, those opportunities come across that... There, it's not all black and white sometimes, you know. Uh, there's some gray matter there. Is this really going to be, how is this going to be looked at later? We sometimes push that aside and we take what it is that we, that's offered to us. And I, I think that young people today uh, probably face some of the biggest trials in their life just by the association of things that go on in the schools, what they hear. Do I believe this? Do I trust that, that my teacher's telling me the right things? That the administration's telling me the right things? That society's telling me the right things? Um, 
But if you raise a child up in the way he should go, when he gets old, he won't depart from it. And it's raising our children up in that format. It's raising ourselves up in that format. The importance for each one of us to know what we believe in and, and why we believe it and then act on that. You know, because that wisdom was the thing that he needed to discern that and to be able to navigate that, uh, I think at times where we may be put in situations where we think, well, how am I going to, how do I answer this? How do I, what choices do I make? How do I navigate this problem in my life? And you may be like me and start scratching your head going, I don't, I don't always know which is the right way or the wrong way to go. But I love what the Word of God says. In James chapter 1, 5, James writes to us, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, I, I love this verse because I claim this verse continually in my life. Let him ask a God who gives generously all to without reproach, and it will be given to you. Before I make any big decisions, I like to pray about them. Uh, I mean, I think that's very important. And I think that, that Daniel, as we're going to find out later in the book, prayer was an important part of his life. I think that he, he continually prayed, God, give me the, give me the wisdom to, to navigate this day. I've got to be in this land where everything's different. I've got to have all these pressures. What, what, how do I make choices? Because we have a promise in Psalms 2. He says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. What a wonderful statement. Do you believe that? That God guides you with his counsel, and someday he's going to receive you in glory? I mean, that alone, if you just grab a hold of that and say, God, your wisdom is available to me, and when I act properly on it, I'm going to please you. But what you've done for me by your son on the cross, you're going to someday take me to glory. I have to remind myself of that continually, that I'm headed someplace and it's not hell. I'm headed someplace and it's heaven. And there's a person who loves me beyond my ability to even fully understand or comprehend that the degree at which he loved me died on a cross to purchase that for me. Who, who of you... If you were walking across the street right now and a bus was coming, you didn't see it, and you stepped out and somebody ran out and shoved you out of the way and then got hit by that bus. What would you say about that person afterwards? What would you think of that person? If you, if, if you could go and touch and talk to their family, would, what would you tell them? Thank you so very, very much, your son or your daughter who pushed me out of the way and took the blow for me so that I could walk away from that situation. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. And he, he just didn't do it and said, there you go, I'm, let, live your life. He did it because he wants to have input into our life continually. He wants to give us that wisdom and that direction and that understanding and that, that ability to make the right decisions because making the right decisions is what life's about. You're going to get to choose whether you go left and right when you walk out of the door. I mean, if your car's parked to the left, you're not going to want to go right. These are, those are the promise God gives us in His Word. Let's look at chapter 3. We're briefly going to go through this quickly today because I don't know how much time I have and I have a tendency to talk long, so I'll try to, I'll try to breeze through this. Chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. 
He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image of the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image of the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, I didn't know they had bagpipes back then. That's the north. And every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's Nations and language fell down and worshipped the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They, de- de- they de- declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve our God or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to him, It is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our king whom you serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men who bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Do we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, 
True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the perfects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, and language who speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. And there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Isn't it funny how the world continually makes images for us, idols for us? Everything's changed. It's always bigger and better. Every year a new car comes out, and, and I hate it because I fall into that trap when I'm driving along in my 97 Ford and I look at some brand new Ford truck that's pulled up next to me and I remember the things I heard. It's got this, it's got that, it's got this, and it's got that, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. And, and I think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have that? How easy it is for us. We live in a nation and a world... I don't care what country you're in, there's always something better. Always something better. And isn't it good to know that we have a God there is nothing better? There is absolutely nothing better. There's no God as big as Him. There's no God as wonderful as Him. There's no God as loving, kind, concerned, and involved as Him. You know... They have to make things new and they have to make things fresh and they have to because they know we're going to get bored. I mean, we, we do, don't we? Yeah. I mean, don't we get bored? We have something, it's a new toy or a new gift or a new piece of clothing and oh, it's great when we first get it and then a year later it's not the style or it isn't as, as new, it isn't as great or in my case, it's, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. And... You know, we, we're always constantly looking. The world is set up like that. It's been that way from, from the very beginning. Uh, it, it's always something that's tempted us, that's bigger and better and greater. I mean, that's what the devil pulled on Adam and Eve. Oh, but if you just eat this, this one little piece of fruit, you know, you're going to have the wisdom and you're going to have the everlasting life. You're going to have all these things. That you're going to be like God. Always temptations, always decisions that we have to make. Well, these three Hebrew boys, they decided that they, that, that they wouldn't fall into idolatry and they refused. And the king got angry and throws in the fire. To his anger, he makes this fire seven times hotter than it was before they refused to bow down to the idol. The world says to us, If you don't bow, you'll burn. God says to us, if you don't bow, you won't burn. 
Because one of those has got to be true. Now I know in the world, nothing in the world, that it, I mean, how people rejoice, they develop all these new things, and when you buy them, when you get them, I mean, you're making somebody happy. So there is always someone who's going to rejoice that you've gone along with whatever it is. If you're offered two products and they're offered by this person and this person and you choose this person's product, you made that choice, they're always going to be happy that you made that choice. This person's always going to be disappointed that you made that choice. Choices, decisions. Here we have two situations that we may find ourselves in. I know of people who have lost their jobs because of their belief. Because they refused to do things that their job would say they were required to do. A young lady left a, a chance to have an education at that particular prestigious school. Why? Because she chose not to fall into that whole thing of, of gender. We are always going to have something that's bigger and better coming down the pike for us. But nothing is bigger and better than our God, and nothing will out, outdo Him. Amen. Not the thing. So, if you don't bow to those things, you're not going to burn. Mm-hmm. You may miss out on some things that, as you, you know, gosh, I could have had that, or I should have had that, or I wish I still had that chance to get that. But when you say no to things that you know God doesn't want you to have, or aren't best for you or your family, no matter how tempting it is, God is God's going to meet you in that. I mean, we all get we all get punished in some way in this world for making right choices. There's somebody who's always going to disagree with you, and it may be your boss, maybe a family member, could be your best friend. But when you make the right choice, God's always going to be in that fire with you. No matter what the situation is, God is not. He says, "I will never leave, nor will I forsake." I loved it because as I read that, Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, you three guys come out here, but I don't want to talk to that guy in the fire. You know, he recognized, man, just you boys come out. Uh, I don't think I want this this son of God in the fire. Now, some of the Bibles say son of God, some of them say sons of the God. But what I'm getting at is that Nebuchadnezzar could recognize who the deliverer was, that there was a deliverer. Do people in your life recognize that when you make the right decision and you choose not to do that? Do they see your God in the decisions that you make? When you're put through situations and, and you're getting the raw end of the stick because you make the right decision, sometimes you get the raw end of the stick. Do they see how you react? How you react? Is it like those guys? They weren't burned. They weren't singed. They didn't complain. They didn't come out smelling like smoke. They refused. They refused to bow. And therefore, they, refu- they, they didn't burn. And when you're going through times of trial, because trials are going to come, we're all going to go in a fiery furnace at different times in our life. Do you understand that God is with you in the midst of that? That he delivers you in the midst of that? That he wants you unaffected in the midst of that? Now sometimes fiery trials are things that we can't change. And sometimes the outcome of it, we leave damaged. I was in a car wreck about three years ago. I'm still damaged. Until I get my new body, I may stay in that situation. 
But I know this, that God was in the midst of that. We got hit by a guy who's doing between 80 and 90 miles an hour, hit us from behind, our car flipped twice, rolled 120 to 150 feet, we don't know for sure, into the oncoming lane. All but three windows in that CRV were broken out. Um, my wife and I crawled out of that car while it was upside down. We grabbed each other and said, well, looks like God's got more for us to do. He could have taken us then. And, and believe me, it would have been okay with me. Um, but he chose not to. And, and we just praise God for that. Uh, and, you know, we didn't get terribly angry. And my wife probably didn't. I, I wasn't too happy with the character. He went to jail, did prison, because you can't run after doing that. It's a felony in this state. And he ran. Uh, we're pretty sure he was under some sort of uh, influence of drugs or narcotics because he, when he finally got caught up, which was sometime later, it was probably out of his system. Um, but God allowed that to happen in Claudia and my life. And, and, you know, it was, was it? We lost a car whom we really, really liked. We had a lot of great memories, and traveling in a car was a great car. Honda CRVs, they're great cars. Um, you know, because any other car, I don't know how it would have happened. But there was miracle after miracle in that accident. The roof of our car on my wife's side came down this far. But as that car hit us, her back seat folded back completely missed her she didn't see it coming I did and therefore I was tense and that's probably one of the reasons I'm so messed up but the fact of the matter is I mean when we, it, 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 I, so many people said we, they looked at the car afterwards the lady said when we came to get stuff out of the car the next day she couldn't believe we were actually in the car because when the car got towed into the yard she said who died in that um People who walked by it to come and talk to us afterwards thought there's no way you could be in the situation that you're in. God can deliver us from anything he desires to and he can put us through anything that he desires to. He's God. We can't dictate to him. But he is going to go through that with you. These boys, they found out that. and, And those around those boys who watched that saw that. And that gave us plenty of times that we get to praise God about what God did for us that day. People in our church are amazed that we survived it. If I showed you pictures of the car now, you'd go, no way, man. Um, Always remember that if you don't bow to the world around you and its system and its temptations, you're not going to burn. You may have to give up some things in this life that other people have. They could be, they can fit every category you can think of. But when you serve God and He says, no, that's not something I have for you, you're going to come out of that not singed. And I mean come out of it. I've got a broken body, but I know when I go to heaven, I'm getting a new one. And it's eternal. And it'll never hurt, it'll never suffer, it'll never pain. It'll be forever in joy. Every promise in that Bible claims that, and I believe and stand on that.
idols. Because that's what this chapter is about. God wrote in Exodus, you shall have no other gods before me. And I think that that's probably what was running through the brains of those three boys. Well, we're not bound to that. Because our God says we can't have any other gods. You know, as Christians, we don't have little wooden rock or, or glass idols as a whole that uh, most people would consider to be idols. But how often can it be other things in our lives? I mean, idols are all about us. Even good things can become idols. Um, I know this, that any idol can come between you and God's Word. If, if you think about it, it distracts you and detracts you from the things that matter. Sometimes the creatures we worship and serve are ourselves, aren't they? Sometimes our very selves can be the actual idol. How often do I want to replace my needs or my wants to say I need it? I want something, therefore it becomes a need. Um, I've learned that everything I want, um, because I've had a lot of buyer's remorse in my life, so I've learned that... uh, not getting something you want. If you can talk yourself out of buying it instantaneously, in two days it's not going to matter half as much as it did when you first saw it and you wanted it. Um, but we, we can easily have uh, idols in our lives. And the scriptures are so firm on that. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The Apostle John in, in 1 John 5.21 says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You may ask, how can I identify an idol in my life? Well, I know there's two ways. How do I respond when I don't get it? When I want something, how do I respond if I do not get what it is that I want? And the other way is, am I willing to sin to get it? And in that sense, there's three ways to identify whether you're willing to, will I lie about it, will I steal it, and will I hide it when I have it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not burn, and their faith is solidly in God, whether he will rescue them from the furnace or not. When I have a decision to make about idolatry, and idolatry can be anything, it can truly can, it can be a good thing. It can be that brand new Ford pickup truck. What do I put in, in above it? How do I make those choices? That's what identifies idolatry. So the three young guys, they get thrown in the fire and, and they're delivered from it. And there's no evidence of them being burned. The older I get, the more I see that almost everything on this planet can either become an idol or a distraction from my walk. I mean everything. Good things, bad things, all things. And God says, I've got to hold that number one place in your life. And you know, we do this. I do this periodically. Where this becomes more important 
And it's not, I can make excuses. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But if I pray and God says, no, I don't want you to have that, how do I react when that happens? I have to think, do I honor God with my time, my energy, my skills, and my money? Do I honor God with my choices, my purchases, the things that I bring into my life, the things that I think that are important? Do I honor Him? Or do I, or do I just do what I will? If it's my will, is it my will or is it God's will? How easy there is to get that confused. Because you think God wants good things for me, so I'll go out and I'll get good things. But not every good thing is what God has for you or has for me. And we're going to go into that furnace, so to speak, when we make the right choice. Because there's an afterburn that happens, isn't it, when you have to give up something that you really, really want and you make the decision to do it, but then you have this time where that burns on you. You think about it. Gosh, but I still really want that. Well, it's difficult to leave that behind. But God's in those decisions with you, and He's not going to let you suffer for it. He's going to rejoice and and reward you that you made the right decision. Because everything in your life can become an idol. Everything on this planet can become an idol. The other question you have is when you make a choice or you force something, choose to or for it or against it, how do people react that don't know the Lord by seeing your actions and your choices? Ask yourself, is that what people can say about my God by seeing the actions and my choices? That He's a deliverer, that He's a lover, that He's died on the cross for me, that that I worship Him, that I care about Him. And when I'm a Christian, if you followed me around uh, 24 hours in, in incognito, would you at the end of examining my 24 hours say, Michael, man, I can see you walk the walk. You don't just talk the talk. Would you see that? I pray for that. If you're behind me in a car, you might not think that, uh, you know, because there's sometimes I, I, I drive fast. So when I ask my question, I, that question, I have to say, ouch, that hurts, Lord. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and these are life verses for me. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. That's everything. Your bodies are everything. That's your hopes, your dreams. That's who you are. That's your physical, mental, spiritual. That's everything wrapped up in. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you see the choices that you make and the things you do as spiritual worship? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that is that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those are life verses. I think those are are verses every Bible, every person has a Bible, I have those verses underlined and highlighted, and they should read them at least once a month. I truly believe that, because that is it. Because one, you can not only do that by the mercies of God, but He's asking you to present your bodies, everything, 
everything. That's your choices, your will, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your actions, everything. Presented to Him as a living sacrifice. Is it holy? Are my actions always holy? Are they always acceptable? And do I see that as spiritual worship? Do I see the choices that I make, the things that I do, right down to what I buy and what I don't buy? Do I see that as spiritual worship? Do I, do I think about those things? God, do you really want me to have this? Let's look at this last chapter we're going to look at today. It's Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. I love that. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find the ground for complaint against Daniel, which was regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find in it connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the perfects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lion. Now the king established the injunction and signed the document and that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they became, excuse me, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to king, to you, king, shall be cast into the den of the lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought 
and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the lion, den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out with a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who were maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bodies and broke all their bones in pieces. The king Dar- then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, and for, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the, to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now this chapter takes place when Daniel is probably around 90 years old. And he's risen to this level of serving the kings. And there'll be three of them in, in, that we know of that he served in leadership. And he, he was brought to a place where he did, I mean, he just did wondrous things. He was constantly acknowledged. And because of it, because he had a relationship with his God and he served his God first and his king second, uh, and he rose in power, jealousy happened about him. And that jealousy caused other governors and satraps and leaders in that country to, to set up a trap. And Daniel, knowing what the trap was, knowing that he was to pray only to the king, went as he did every day of his life and prayed to his God. Do people see that in your or my life? Do they know that we're people of prayer? Because that's a very important part of our life. Daniel had set up a time where he prayed continually every day. Do you have prayer time? Do you have a devotion time in your life? If you don't, I just want to encourage you to set it up. To find time, 5, 10, 15 minutes. And believe me, it'll get expanded as you do that. But to set time to come before the Lord every day. And, and just give Him the glory and the honor that He deserves. And look into His Word and be fed for that day. Prayer was so important to Daniel that he was willing to say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll suffer the consequences. We live in a world today where we can't pray in schools. I just heard about a, a young boy who was told he couldn't bring his Bible to class and read it on his free time. 
um, they're, the, the school district's going to lose that one because they've lost it, not that particular school district, but many school districts have lost that argument already. Um, you know, we have a freedom of religion even though you wouldn't know it anymore. Um, we're being forced to, to believe things that are untrue and we're not allowed to believe the things uh, or we shouldn't, we're not encouraged, let me put it that way, to believe the things that are right. Setting up a time in your life where you spend time with the Lord. Man, I'll tell you right now, my flesh doesn't like it. See, my flesh doesn't like to read the Word of God. My flesh doesn't like to pray. My flesh doesn't like to worship. I have to take authority over my flesh. Because my flesh is not going to heaven. Praise God. I'm going to get a new body. This one's going to decrease. But the importance of having a prayer life and a time of devotion is something that um, we do most of the time in my home. Um, and I am the firm benefactor of it. Uh, getting in the Word of God and spending time in prayer changes how my day goes. And the days that I do not do that, I guarantee you, don't go as well as the days when I do. And in ministry, that's vital. And I cannot tell you how often I've spent time in the Word and I'll go, God, I, it's great devotion, but you know, I don't see anything specific in my life. And then I'll go and work. Because a lot of what I do is counseling you know, at, at church and just meeting with people and talking with people and discipling people. And, but inevitably, I'll get a call and that very thing that I read that very morning will be exactly what that person needs to hear. And if we aren't in the Word, we're not only going to miss what God has for us, we're going to miss what God has for them. The other thing is, is that we want you to notice that it's in that praying that Daniel could go to the lion's den and say, God, if they, they eat me, they eat me. If they don't, they don't. Because he had the right perspective. And in that right perspective, it was like, you know, I'm, if I'm not here, I'm in your presence. That is so vitally important to us that we have a prayer life and a devotional time. And it will pay off. Prayer is so important. The Bible covers it constantly. Romans chapter 12. Romans is one of my favorite books in the Bible. So I, I oftentimes fall into bringing forth the scriptures from there. But it says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. First Thessalonians chapter 5.17 says what? Pray without ceasing. Have you ever asked yourself, how do you do that? How do you... I can't close my eyes when I drive. How do we do that? It's just being in that communal state with God. It's just recognizing Him that He's with you always. It's talking to Him when, and listening to Him because it's not just a one-sided conversation. I can't tell you how many times I entered it in, in the morning with a, a situation in my own life and in, in, in my devotional time, God will answer it. He'll quicken a question that I have, a decision that I have to make, or trouble that I'm dealing with, or a heartbreak that I have. That, that His words will quicken me and His word will speak to me.
If we're not praying to him, how do and not talking to him, how do we hear from him? You say, well, Mike, I don't always know what to pray for. Or I always don't know how to pray. Well, Paul answers that. He said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, Paul writes, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you pray and you ask for answers, I can't say God answers immediately. There's still some things that he has not answered and I have not stopped praying about. But I do know this, that if you're going to make a decision and you pray and you don't hear to make that decision, don't make that decision. Daniel was obedient to God and God honored that. He was saved from the mouth of the lions and prospered throughout his own entire history. I mean, there he's 90 and he, he lived some years after that and served another king. So let, let's look at back again. The three major things that I was hoping we would draw from the book of Daniel, because there's so, so much in there and we could spend days and hours in this book, is one, be committed Resolving your heart to do what God has for you to do. Live by His Word. And it will help you make the right decisions. And you'll be ready to make the right decisions. Secondly, don't let idolatry creep into your life. It's so easy. We live in such a, a, a world so full of things. We are so over-blessed in America because we have such an abundance of absolutely everything. Um... And the way to appreciate that is to go someplace where people don't have everything on a missions trip and have your heart change and just see how much God has blessed us. But that blessing also brings the side of having to make right choices in the midst of it. So don't let idolatry creep into your lives. If you were convicted today in any way, uh, make decisions to put those things in proper order. Because as I said, even good things can become idols. It's a matter of order in your life. You know, it's it's just having things in their proper order. And when we know God's a God of order. And thirdly, pray often. Set aside a time uh, that you spend in the Word, that you spend in prayer. Five, ten minutes, whatever it is. Don't go out the door in the morning without talking to God about it asking for his help, asking for his presence, asking for him to quicken your mind with his word when you've got to make a decision or you've got to do something, that you make the right decision, that you do the right things. Because I guarantee you folks, we're facing some difficult times here. God is moving in the world, but the places he's moving the fastest and more people are coming to the knowledge of Christ are in lands where there is persecution. Lands where it's very, very restricted. God's moving mightily in China. God's moving mightily in the Middle East. Muslims are coming to know Christ in a place where they're going to die, sometimes even if their family members know about it. Know that, that we're, we're, we're going to face some difficult times. And, and, and I've talked it over with my, my boss, Pastor Kelly, and we said, you know, 
I don't want to suffer, but if that's what it takes to make people turn, that's what it takes to bring about people choosing for Christ. If difficulties are what brings people to the truth, bring them. Bring it on. Because, you know, this life is, eternity is immeasurable. We can, so we're going to suffer here one way or the other. You know, just living in a land that's so full of everything and having to have a restrictive sense to it that you just don't go out and throw yourself into all that madness. Uh, that's as big a temptation as living in a land where you have nothing. And you're tempted to sin so you can have something. So let me sum it up this morning. Apostle Peter, in, in his first letter, in the very first chapter, uh, there's seven verses there that really, um, I think, sum it up for me this morning. And it says, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last times in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found as a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your life, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We may not be cast in the fiery furnace. We may not be ordered to do things that we don't, but we're liable to. We may not be cast into a den of lions, but I guarantee you, in your life, you're going to have tribulation. That's a promise we have in the book, too. So there's going to be difficulties. It's how we handle it. What choices do we make when we're in the midst of those things? Daniel and his three companions lived that kind of life. And I believe, folks, that we can, too. Because the same God, the same Spirit, was active and alive and working in them as it is alive and working in us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that these people could listen to an old man rattle on up here about one of his favorite stories, one of his favorite books. Lord, I, I pray a blessing upon these people. I pray that, that there was something in the midst of what I said that touched their eyes or fed them. As I studied it, I got convicted myself, Father God. So it's difficult to give a word where people may be convicted, but, but in the fact that out of that conviction comes good because proper choices are made afterwards. And I pray that for everyone, myself included in this room, that, Lord, your word would run through our hearts and minds before we make decisions in our lives. And that when we make the right decision that lines up with you, we may find ourselves in tribulation. There might be a trial. We may lack something someone else has because we chose not to have it. That may be the fiery furnace that we're in living in a world where we have less than so much people that have more as we chose not to have idols in our life. God, be with us. Guide us. Bless these people, Father God. And bless Pastor Clint. 
Lord, let, let your word be rich to him today, tomorrow, in the weeks to come. Let him come back to this fellowship full, having feasted on time. Bless his time with his family, as I know this, this flock cares about him. And, and they want him they want him healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually. They want him healthy. They want his family mentally, physically, spiritually healthy. And time off is what he needed. And I, I praise them for allowing that to take place. Be with these people, God. You love them, each and every one of them. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Amen.